So the, the notes should be on the social links. Uh, we're handing out the hard copy. If you want the hard copy, raise your hand. Four pages of notes tonight. You're not excited about it. You need something to take your mind off the election. You already voted. It's in God's hands. Uh, let's get equipped for the mission. Amen? Amen? You guys ready to work? Yeah. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, don't be lazy. Okay. Let's, uh, let's get through this so that you can get home before, the, before they call the election. <laughs> Uh, Lord help us. All right, we are in Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs chapter 11, we're going to pick it up in verse 7. First thing we're going to see tonight is the wicked, right? The only hope they have in this life is this life. The hope is only in this life. Verse 7, when a wicked man dieth, so that should bring up our first point, when a wicked man dieth, his expectation shall perish, and the hope of unjust men perisheth. So for the wicked, this is the way it works. For the wicked, this life is as good as it gets. Whatever they can get out of this life, that's what they're after. In chapter 10, verse 28, we saw that the expectation of the wicked shall perish, but notice the hope of the righteous shall be gladness. In chapter 11, we'll see this in verse 23, the desire, the hope, the desire of the righteous is only good, but the expectation of the wicked is wrath. So for the wicked, it's perishing, and then it's wrath. Chapter 14, verse 32, the wicked is driven away in his wickedness. But look at the promise to the believer. But the righteous hath, the righteous hath hope in his death. Man, isn't that awesome to know that we can say to death, I mean, we can talk trash to death. First Corinthians 15, you know. Where is death's power over the believer in Jesus Christ. It has none. And so we have hope, even in death. We don't sorrow like the lost world sorrows. Okay, so let's look at a couple of just simple examples of how the wicked have hope and their hopes die with them. Wicked Pharaoh, uh, he, he saw an opportunity not only to get his workforce back, but, uh, but to get some booty for his coffers. You remember... Israel spoiled the Egyptians on their way out. And so here it is. It's going across the... What's wrong? Why are you shaking your head? You don't like the word booty? That's what, uh, that's what it is. Booty, you know, like in a pirate movie. I wasn't talking about that Israeli booty. Yeah, well, that's not what... It was Egyptian booty that the Israelis took. And Never mind, I'm just digging myself into a deeper hole. Okay, so he sees an opportunity to just cha-ching twice. Okay, that's what we're saying. And uh, it's hard to preach when Eric's down here critiquing, like openly. <laughs> pastor, pastor, pastor. Man, what are you thinking? Uh, so pray for me. It's, it's a cross. I got to bear it. Okay, so here he is. He's got plans, right? Verse 8, with the blast of thy nostrils, the waters were gathered together. The flood stood upright as a heap. Uh, that ought to got his attention. He'd never seen that before. The depths were congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, here's what Pharaoh was saying, while he's seeing God delivering his people, here's his expectation. I will pursue. I will overtake. I will divide the spoil. See that? Ah, booty. I will, I will divide the spoil. Eric's not shaking his head now. Booty, Eric. <laughs> My lust shall be satisfied upon them. Booty. Okay, no. <laughs> I 
I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. So that was his expectation, watch it perish. Thou didst blow with thy wind, the sea covered them. They sank as lead in the mighty waters. Holy moly, the hope of the wicked, right? It dies with him. You see it in the example of the rich man, Luke chapter 12. He is making bank. So what's his expectation? Look at verse 17. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? I'm making so much money, I don't know where to put it all. He said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, here's his expectation. Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. Well, watch that expectation perish with him. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. In Luke chapter 16, you see the rich man and Lazarus. Um, in his lifetime, verse 25, he had expectation. And he was enjoying that. He was receiving good things. Lazarus didn't. But now he's lifted up his, his eyes in hell, and Lazarus is in Abraham's bosom. He's comforted, and thou art tormented. So his expectation perishes with him. So here's the promise for the believer, okay? So for the wicked, it's perishing and then wrath. Uh, he has no hope in his death. But for the believer, it's gladness, it's goodness. 10.28, right? 11.23, it's only good. So Proverbs 23.18 says, surely there is an end. And thine expectation shall not be cut off. That's the hope of the believer. In chapter 24, verse 14, so shall the knowledge of wisdom be unto thy soul when thou hast found it. Then there shall be a reward, and thy expectation shall not be cut off. Why? Well, our expectation goes beyond death, doesn't it? Our expectation, our hope is Christ himself. Amen? We're risen with Christ, we're looking. Our expectation is Christ, and so we set our affection on things above, not on things on earth. Our expectation is not for what we can get for ourselves out of this earth. We already have everything that God intends for us to have. We have a personal saving relationship with the creator of heaven and earth himself. That's our expectation, and it will not be cut off, right? We will be glad. It will be good. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. So here's a pro tip in terms of personal application. Don't waste your life trying to get rich. Now, if God gives you a way to get rich, glory to God, use it for his glory. But that's not the objective. That's not the end game. So don't waste your life trying to get what you want for yourself out of this world because your expectation is in what the world can give you. Don't do that. Instead of trying to be rich and having a snare on your life, just, just live a rich life. Live Christ. You know, in uh, the movie, The Count of Monte Cristo, uh, I like the movie. I read the book. I thought the movie was better. It's rare that it works out that way, but Cavill's a good actor, and he just really tore up the part. And, and uh, what was the nemesis's name? Oh, I'm blanking on his name. Protag protagonist, Count of Monte... Somebody had it. Ermon? No. Fernand? No, Fernand. Uh, how am I going to keep the names straight? Okay, so the count, his name is? All I'm hearing is, sorry. Okay, so the good guy, 
<laughs> not super, not super worldly, okay? Just content. Uh, sweet soul gets like a whistle for his birthday, and his best friend, who is just a scumbag, gets a pony. He's filthy rich, okay? And uh, the count is happier with his whistle than his best buddy is with the pony. And it just made him so frustrated that his simple friend, his good-hearted friend, could, be, could have so much contentment and joy with what he had. He wasn't content with anything that he had. You and I, brothers and sisters, we have Christ. How can we not be content? Probably a terrible illustration, Count of Monte Cristo, but good movie. Okay, number six, the wicked are always taken in their own evil. Verse 8 says, the righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead. So notice that the righteous, they're not spared trouble, but they're delivered out of trouble. God never promised you you wouldn't have trouble, but he does promise to deliver you out of it. There's probably no greater example than the examples we see in both Esther and the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 3, you see the, you see the, the, the three... Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're delivered out of the fiery furnace, but the wicked came in their stead. Look at verse 22, the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. In chapter 6, don't pray to anyone but the king. They set that as a trap for Daniel because they know Daniel is faithful to Jehovah. So they entrap him they expose him, they condemn him, and he's consigned to the lion's den, and that should have been a death sentence. Then was the king, Daniel 6, 23, exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. The righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed in his God. And right then, Darius could have declared, now the wicked cometh in his stead. The king commanded, and they brought those men which had accused Daniel and cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, and their wives, and the lion had mastery of them, and break all their bones in pieces wherever they came at the bottom of the den. Psalms 107.17 says, fools, because of their transgression and because of their iniquities are afflicted. And what's horrible about this is their families uh, suffered because of their wickedness. You see it also in Haman's family. Again, we've looked at this several times. But in Esther 5 through 7, you see Haman's plot. Wicked Haman is going to destroy Mordecai. Uh, he makes a plan for Mordecai's destruction. Mordecai is persecuted. God never said he wouldn't be, but he delivered him. And Haman came in his stead. He was hung on his own gallows. Psalms 57, 6 describes it this way. You know, it's the perspective of the believer. They prepare a trap, right? They prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me into the midst whereof they are fallen themselves. Selah. Rest. Peace. So in terms of practical application, okay, here's another pro tip. In any conflict, make sure you're on God's side. <laughs> Why? Because that conflict... It's a trap, right? It's a trap. So just make sure you're on God's side. Uh, make sure you're on every conflict, you're on God's side, lest you find yourselves in the trap that others are planning or that you've planned. No, you just need to get right and get with God. Number nine, watch your mouth. Verse, or number seven, verse nine, watch your mouth. Verse nine says, An hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, 
So the mouth is the tool of destruction. It can be a terrible tool of destruction. The hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through the knowledge, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. We already saw this in chapter 10, verse 18. He that hideth hatred with lying lips, and he that uttereth a slander is a fool. In the multitudes of words there wanteth not sin. It's a trap. But he that refraineth his lips is wise. This hypocrite with his mouth destroying his neighbor. The hypocrite, uh, that word hypocrite comes from two, it's a compound word in English. It just means to answer back. And what it would be is, is uh, I would have a line that I would give, and that line should provoke Eric to give his line. We're in a play. We're, we're performing a drama. And it's not really Eric's line. He's just saying it because that's his part. In other words, he's play acting. So a hypocrite is someone who says a part or plays a part. They play. In other words, they're a phony. Who they are, how they roll, what they say, that's not really who they are. They just play a part in order to accomplish a goal. And we saw this example already, right? The prophet that had a word from the Lord, not to dawdle, not to tarry, to go back and, uh, and not get sidetracked. And then the false prophet came and lied. The hypocrite played his part, deceived the man of God, and it was to his destruction. For as much as thou hast disobeyed the mouth of the Lord, and hast not kept the commandment which the Lord thy God commanded thee, but camest back and hast eaten bread and drunk of water in the place which the Lord did say to thee, Eat no bread and drink no water. Thy carcass shall not come into the sepulcher of thy father's. The hypocrite, through his mouth, destroyed his neighbor. So for you and I, we need to beware. How are we using our mouth? Is it being used to build up God's people or to destroy them? And again, the cross-reference, Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11, 10 and 11 through 16 and 17. What do you have there? The whole church, every, the whole church has a role. The whole church, every joint is supplying the edification of the whole body. Our mouth is to be used to build people up into their head, into the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, into sound doctrine, so that they're not tossed to and fro, to and fro by false teaching. We should be, all of us, should be dedicating our mouths to the work of making sure this church is straight in the book and straight in our mission. We want to build people up in their faith. That's our job. How are you using your mouth? Conversely, here's a warning. If you don't want the truth, if you're looking for a lie, well, then you'll buy into the first lie that comes along. For people that don't want to receive the knowledge of the truth, when the Antichrist comes, this will be the ultimate lie, the ultimate deception, the ultimate hypocrite uh, acting out his part. And 2 Thessalonians 2 verses 8 through 12 says that they believe the lie because they love not the knowledge of the truth. And speaking of the Antichrist, Psalms 55, verse 21, the words of his mouth were smoother than butter, but war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet were they drawn swords. It was for destruction that he speaks. And there are people like that. There are many Antichrists, aren't there? But this is how it works. If you don't love the truth, if you're not going to receive the word of the Lord, if you're not going to respond to life as a biblicist, Instead, you want to go away that's right in your own eyes. Well, then God will give you enough rope to hang yourself. And you see that in the example of Ahab. He was a God rejecter, a Bible rejecter. He didn't want what God's Word declared over his life, so he's looking for another way. So God sent him a lion spirit. And that's the promise. I will be Kings 
1 Kings 22 and verse uh, 22. You know, I'm going to persuade Ahab to his destruction. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I'll be a, a lying spirit. I'll be a hypocrite. I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all his prophets. And that's exactly what he did. So here's the practical application. Pro tip, be careful who you listen to. <laughs> Don't take counsel for, from someone that doesn't have a heart for the Lord, someone who's not a biblicist. Don't do that. Uh, don't take counsel or guide, guidance from a hypocritical fool. Anybody that doesn't have a testimony of loving Christ and loving His Word does not have an opinion that's worth you risking the trajectory of your life over. Hello, somebody. Be careful who you get advice from. You want to get advice from people who love Jesus and they love His book. Amen? Otherwise, they don't, otherwise they don't know what they're talking about. So why waste your time getting an opinion from them? Blessed, Psalms 1.1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. If somebody doesn't, if you can't see that somebody loves Jesus with all their heart, why would you listen to that fool? Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Number 10, verse 10, number 8, societies are blessed by the upright. When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth. I'm a little tongue-tied. When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth, but... Here it is, part B, and when the wicked perish, there is shouting. Can you imagine being so evil that when you die, people cheer, like society rejoices? And yet, history is full of examples of this, isn't it? When the wicked perish, there is shouting. So in Jeremiah 22, hear you the word of the Lord, O King of Judah, that sitteth on the throne of David, you, thou and thy servants. And thy people that enter in by these gates, thus saith the Lord, execute ye judgment and righteousness and delivered, deliver the spoiled out of the land or out of the hand of the oppressor. And do no wrong. Do no violence to the stranger, the fatherless, nor the widow. Neither shed innocent blood in this place. For if you do this thing indeed, then shall there be, right? Then shall there enter in by the gates of this house, king sitting upon the throne of David, riding in chariots and on horses, he and his servants and his people. But if you will not hear these words, I swear by myself, saith the Lord, that this house shall become a desolation. Do you see the promise and the threat? Okay, so how does this work? Okay, so there's several cross-references here. Um, but we looked at the example of Pharaoh. So uh, Exodus 15, 21, when the wicked perished, what did the righteous do? And Miriam answered them, Sing ye unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. Athela was so wicked that when he died, the land rejoiced. Check out Revelation 19. When the king is coming to overthrow the Antichrist, look at, look at the cry of God's people. I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and avenged the blood of his servants at her hand, rejoicing because this wickedness, right, this wickedness was taken away. So the people are rejoicing. The 420 elders worship. They said, Amen, Alleluia. The voice comes out of the throne in verse 5, saying, Praise our God, all ye servants, and ye that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, 
as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord, God omnipotent, reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. So they're rejoicing over the good, triumphing over evil. So here's another pro tip. Don't be a dictator. Never ends well for dictators. Dictators never do well in leadership. Uh, Just ask any Romanian how that worked out for Ceausescu. And don't be a dictator in your home, right? So dictators in church, man, nobody got time for that. Don't be a dictator in your ministry role. Don't lord over your wife and your children. Don't be, don't be a dictator, okay? Because when you go down, um, people will rejoice, and nobody wants to go out like that. Uh, take Pastor Best's servant leadership course. Uh, is it too late to enroll? It's too late to enroll. I bet if you went and begged Pastor Best, he would talk to Romeo and they would sneak you in. That's what I bet. So what about when the upright rules? Well, you know, how, how, look at verse 10 again. When it goeth well with the righteous, the city rejoiceth. Okay? The city rejoiceth. So good triumphs over evil. This is the end of the Star Wars episode, whichever one it is. You know, the end. Uh, the bad guys all got taken out, and there's like this big party. There's usually a rave at the end of each Star Wars movie, and everybody's rejoicing that the Empire got it in the eye. And, and Mordecai went out from the presence of the king in royal apparel of blue and white, with a great crown of gold, and with a garment of fine linen and purple. And the city of Shushan rejoiced and was glad. Um, man, what a picture. <laughs> what an incredible picture of what the judgment seat of Christ could look like for the believer. Amen? Also think about this. If there were just 10 righteous people in Sodom, wouldn't that whole country have, wouldn't that whole countryside have rejoiced? Wouldn't they have rejoiced if just 10 righteous were in Sodom? Verse 11. Okay, how does verse 10 work? Well, it works like verse 11. By blessing... By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, but it is overthrown by the hypocrite, by the mouth of the wicked. That's because righteousness exalteth a nation. You want the people who are leading in your community to lead by righteousness because we need the blessing of God. Pharaoh got that. Who's like Joseph? We need to put Joseph in charge because he's righteous and we need our nation to be exalted. So he puts Pharaoh in charge. We already saw this principle in Proverbs chapter 6, the froward walk in a froward way, right? He is always causing trouble, and that's going to corrupt a community. Uh, So we need to beware, right? Let's let's make sure. And again, it'd be like going going for advice to somebody that doesn't have a testimony of faith and love. Uh, for Jesus and his word. Why would you listen to that guy? Well, the same thing's true in every area of your life. Why why would you submit to the leadership of someone that is going to sow discord, that's going to sow confusion into your life? So pick well, you know. Uh, A naughty person, a wicked man, produces naughty and wicked results. He soweth discord. So we got to beware Okay, we got to guard our tongues. 
we got to be careful that we're not hypocritical in our communication, but that we're edifying in our communication. Again, we're right back to where we started. We need to watch our mouth. The tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and is set on fire of hell. I mean, you ever think about how you can unleash hell with your mouth? Do you know how many parents have damned their children to eternal hell because they abused them in the book? They didn't, they weren't Ephesians 4 in their approach to their family. And they sowed confusion and discord into their kids using the Bible to do it. How many kids grew up mad at God because mom and dad were villainous, cramming it down their throat? as children. They use the Bible and the things of God as a punishment over the, the, the wrong that the parent would find in the, the life of the child. Uh, you, you, your tongue has the ability to unleash heaven or hell on those that, you know, God's place in your life, and you got to decide. You got to decide how you're going to use your mouth. You got to decide how you're going to live your life. You got to decide what you're going to be counted for in this world. Is God worth being right with? I mean, this same principle exists all throughout Genesis to Revelation. You can't miss it. There's a way that seems right to a man because it, it goes with what they're feeling right now, you know? It goes with their circumstances. It. it, it the way we're wired in our flesh, it's like this. I don't want to think about God. I don't want to think about God's expectations over my life. I got some things I want for myself in the flesh, and so how do I manipulate people to accomplish what I want with my life, to get out of this world what I want from my flesh? And then with your mouth, the way that you roll, you end up being used of the enemy to use and abuse God's people or your family or the people that you're dwelling with, your neighbors, your friends, your schoolmates, your, work, your co-workers. And, and this is how I brought up my kids. You know, I just tell them this over and over again. Look, you have to decide what kind of person you're going to be. I can't, I want, with all my heart, I want you to be a mighty man of God. I want you to be a mighty woman of God. I want that. But I can't make you be that. You have to decide. You have to decide that God's worth being right with. You have, to, you, have to, you have to examine this book, and you have to decide, is this truly the Word of God? Because if it is, it reigns over your life. Your eternity is being determined by this book and your response to it. And then part of your response is going to be what comes out of your life. And are you a dictator? Are you a hypocrite? Are you a user and abuser? Are the people around you... Are they being exalted and lifted up before the Lord? Are they being blessed? Are they being edified? Or are you making merchandise of them? Are you using and abusing them? Are you lording and dictating over them so that you can go away that's right in your own eyes? None of us are perfect. None of us have arrived, okay? But who are you? What have you decided about God? What have you decided about this book is MBT going to be lifted up because God has you here? Or are you a tear among the wheat? Are you being used of the enemy to sow confusion and dis discord? Are people rejoicing because of how God's using you in their life? 
or if you decided to just go on and go away that's right in your own eyes with the people that need you to hold them accountable in the word, are they going to be secretly relieved that you're gone? That would be the worst. I mean, that would just be the worst. I don't want anybody to ever think that way about me, you know? I want, I want, I want God to use me in, in, in the lives of people. What are you doing with your mouth? Is it building people up? Well, I, you know, man, I just, it's just not worth it. Every time I go to try to, to engage and I try to be a blessing God's people, I end up just making a mess and it causes confusion. Submit as a disciple. Get trained up. Roll with us. Be a disciple. Be trained as a disciple. Jump, get, get accountable with us. Jump in that Ephesians 4 structure. Be part of the body that's accountable in the Word to learn the Word with us, to serve in ministry with us. Let, let the body task you in ministry. Be accountable in that. And you watch how God uses your life. You'll lose track over the manifold, the multi-points and the multi-ways of blessing that God makes you in the lives of people. You won't be able to avoid it. Um, it's because how God designed it. Let's bow our heads, let's humble ourselves before the Lord before we close, all right?